for Tuesday, March 9th, 2021. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, one of Georgia's top infectious disease experts says the coronavirus pandemic could slow considerably in the coming year, but a return to normal won't be quick. It's not going to be like turning a switch. It's going to be more like turning off a faucet. It's going to be slow. And I predict sometime in 2022, life is going to be more normal than it's been right now. Dr. Carlos Del Rio from Emory University joins me, as does Fulton County Health Director Dr. Lynn Paxton, for a look back at some of the things they've learned in the last year of the pandemic and where things might go from here. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. It's now been a year since the coronavirus pandemic upended nearly every part of our lives. To mark that anniversary, I recently spoke with two experts fighting the pandemic. Dr. Carlos Del Rio from Emory University, and Dr. Lynn Paxton, director of the Fulton Board of Health. Today, we're bringing you the first half of that conversation, which was live streamed during a special live taping of the podcast, and starts with me asking both my guests when they first realized the coronavirus was worth taking seriously. Here we are a year into the first cases uh, having been reported in Georgia is kind of looking back at when each of you first realized that this pandemic was going to be a big deal. Maybe where you were, what experience you had and kind of what you thought at the time once you realized, oh, Lord, we're in for something. Um, Maybe, Dr. Del Rio, let me start with you. When was that moment and kind of what was that moment where you realized that we were about to be in for something uh, pretty big? So I started to track the pandemic very early on when it started happening and when cases started happening in China. And in fact, in early January, I did a a hit for CNN, both in English and Spanish. I was actually in Miami visiting my son and I I still thought that it was primarily going to be in China, but I was worried that as we know more about this virus, I said respiratory viruses rarely stay within its borders. So I continued every morning to obsessively look at the Hopkins side and see what was going on. But it was really a trip to DC in early March. I had an appointment at the office of the Assistant Secretary of Health at that point in time, Dr. Brett Gerard. And during that time, we were talking about actually opioids and HIV. We had just finished a National Academy of Medicine report and we were talking about that. And, and Dr. Gerard said to me, you know, I need to go to the White House. There's this, this COVID thing is really 
getting complicated. And, and I came back from that meeting very concerned that things, you know, when there was a White House call on it, I said, this is serious. He's meeting with Dr. Fauci and the president, et cetera. And I said, oh, if the White House is calling the Assistant Secretary of Health for a meeting, this is something big and we need to be concerned about it. Well, sure. Yeah. Getting a call from, from the White House puts some urgency to an issue. Dr. Paxton, so when, when did this kind of dawn on you that we were in for something big here? Well, in contrast to Carlos, I really came late to the realization. The reason is, is I was happily retired. And um, so I was gallivanting around the world. I was scuba diving and all that. And I believe that back in February, I was, oh, I think I was on St. I was scuba diving off of St. Helena where Napoleon died and was sent for, to exile. And so I mean, it was remote. And we we're starting to hear things there about, uh, oh, there, about this, this problem. But because I was no longer at CDC, at CDC, you would get emails like every day about a topic that was coming up. And so you're kind of in the know. I was just like anybody else, just reading the paper. So when I got back, um, you know, as I was reading the paper and I realized, okay, things are starting to heat up with this. And so I then volunteered for the, what we call the medical reserve corps. It's for healthcare professionals and, and the like who have uh, some free time and want to volunteer for this. And I went to a testing center. This was like in, in, uh, in April and um, mm. looked around and realized then, oh, there is uh, a lot of people here. You know, this seems to be like, you know, probably bigger than I, than I thought. And so for me, the realization was more around beginning of April um, that this was going to be a very big deal because I was just reading the papers at that time. And, and Dr. Del Rio, you know, I, I know you have been kind of a, a, a trusted voice through so much of this pandemic, but you've actually been working with, with patients directly. Tell me a little bit about how that has been f for you to, you know, to really be working with people face to face that are uh, going through this disease. Well, you know, I would say, Sam, that first and foremost, I'm, I'm a clinician, right? I train as a physician. And it reminds me about the early years of HIV when we had nothing to offer the patients. But the difference is in the early years of HIV, we could offer people a hug. We could offer people a mm -hmm. compassion. We can offer people as they were dying and we had nothing to offer them medically, we can offer them uh, care. We can take care of the patient as they died. I remember a patient that used to come to my office and I, you know, at some point in time I said, there's no point on you coming anymore because, you know, you're losing weight, you're not doing well, there's nothing we're doing for you. And he said, yes, you are. You are giving me a hug every day. So please don't stop me from coming. And the difference is with COVID, the isolation for me was so hard. The fact that we had to see people in their rooms with no family by themselves, we were in PPE, we couldn't touch them, or we can touch them with gloves, you know, doing our physical exam, but there wasn't this ability to provide that human touch. To me, that was probably the hardest thing. I think is the isolation and the distance that we had to have with the patients that was really exceedingly hard. And I would say that I still continue to find that very difficult as I'm seeing patients. Well, I love my PPE in the sense that I have not been infected because I use my PPE correctly. I also want to hug a patient. I also want to give them a hand. I also want to just tell them it's okay. We're, gonna, we're here for you. And it's just hard to do that. We also have seen an incredible number of, of Hispanic Latinx patients 
And I'm fortunate that I speak Spanish. So I've done a lot of getting together with them just to be able to communicate in the same language and be able to communicate with their children on their phone as, you know, dad is dying and be able to communicate in the same language. But it's been, I mean, I think the toll on providers is something that we don't quite realize how hard it has been. It is so hard. And every one of those deaths uh, weighs very heavily in our hearts. Well, sure. These are providers who have been doing this for a year now. We can think they've been really pushed to the to the limits uh, like this for a year. Now, Dr. Paxton, I, I would imagine some of the challenges that, that you face kind of overseeing a health department, you know, you're on the front lines too. I've, I've seen, uh, you know, the images of you giving people vaccines at uh, some of the mass vaccination sites that Fulton County is, is running. But, but what have maybe been some big challenges that, that you've faced trying to manage a public health agency through this crisis? Yeah, well, I think for me, it was the fact that, well, of course, we're kind of almost all COVID all the time. Um, which means that that's where the majority of our resources are. But what COVID has actually done in, you know, is has really highlighted the enormous disparities that have been there for a while and that are you know, just being magnified by this pandemic. So we're still trying to address that. I think that for me personally, probably the hardest thing is the fact that this epidemic has been so politicized that I felt like we had that extra barrier in front of us in that even putting out common sense advice for a respiratory epidemic of wear a mask, keep your distance, got so politicized that I was getting nasty, what I think of as nasty grams, uh, you know, emails from people who were thought it was a hoax and, and, and the like. And it was very difficult to, you know, to get to, you know, show people the rightness of, of, uh, of doing this. And so that was one thing. And, and again, just the frustrations as a public health professional of having to deal with some serious deficiencies in how the pandemic was addressed I would say particularly at the federal level, that every day it felt like I was coming in and beating my head against um, uh, you know, the table because it said, why are we fighting for PPEs? Why are we, do I feel like I'm in a cage match trying to you know, get enough PPEs? Why do I feel like you know, just asking certain groups to wear a mask, why are they offended? You know, it was just, Really, you know, really just very, very difficult. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead, and today we're bringing you part of my recent conversation with two experts on the front lines of the pandemic, Dr. Carlos Del Rio of Emory University and Dr. Lynn Paxton, Fulton County Health Director. Now, was that, um, I'm, that was challenging, uh, certainly, but was that surprising to you, Dr. Paxton, that something like this became so political? Because I, I've, I've talked to so many public health officials, and, and they've always said that there is a fair amount of politics in, in public health. You know, it's an agency whose budget is set by elected officials. Yes, it, it, it absolutely is. And I mean, the cycle is, is that for most of the time, public health just kind of runs along in the background, and our budget gets steadily cut because things are going well. Then something comes up and then we're like called to the forefront, you know, we get money and then, you know, da, 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 and then it goes right back to the way that it was before. And no, I'm not naive uh, enough to think that all of public health is um, non-politicized. I, as you mentioned, I kind of grew up in the HIV world. 
You know, I started medical school in San Francisco in 1982. And so I've sort of been in this for, you know, a long, a long time. And so, yes, I was aware about the politics. But, you know, one of the big differences between HIV, and which did lead me to be a little bit naive, between HIV and COVID is that with HIV, of course, there's always the overlay of how it's contracted that enters into it. But with a respiratory infection, there's no behavior. There's no, you know, socially disapproved upon behavior because breathing is considered to be something that one has to do. And um, so I thought that maybe there would be a little, you know, a little less around this. I never imagined that we would have, um, you know, people at the top who said that, oh, you don't need to wear a mask. And so in that case, yeah, I was a little bit more naive than I should have been because to me, it just seemed to be so, um, you know, so evident uh, that, you know, this is something that we needed to do. And the fact that we had to fight so hard and so long, and even now, like a few days ago, Texas and Mississippi, mm. you know, uh, took away their mask mandates. I mean, that is, I'm sorry, insane. And so it's just, it makes me think, realize, okay, we can never let up. We can never take our foot off the gas pedal. For those of us that grew in HIV, you know, public health is always political, but has never, has never been partisan. And I think about, mm. you know, the great accomplishments of public health in HIV, you know, Ryan White, uh, PEPFAR, they have had bipartisan support. What I has been has been really hard in this pandemic is the partisan politics around it. I mean, who would who do we imagine that wearing a mask would be partisan? I would not even dream about that in my wildest dreams that that would be an issue. Who would imagine that nowadays, you know, a vaccine is partisan? With the biggest vaccine hesitant population, it's actually we talk about African Americans, actually Republicans. It's Republicans. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's 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 just crazy. And, and I think that the other thing that to me has been incredibly difficult to deal with, and this is the first pandemic of social media. And I'll be honest with you, it is just unbelievable the amount of misinformation that is in social media. And I get questions about it so frequently. Mm-hmm. And it feels like I'm drinking from the fire hydrant. You know, it's just, it's just no way to stop it. Yeah. You answer one and a new one comes up. I still can't get over the thought the, 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 the one that you hear a lot about how the vaccine is implanting bots in you and, uh, you know, that can tag, that can follow you as if we were that smart. But anyway. <laughs> well, well, sure. And, and I think I think that this this ties into to something I have been thinking about a lot this week as we kind of mark one year of cases in Georgia. And, and this is maybe a question without an answer, but maybe something to reflect on. Did we need to lose this many lives here in the U.S.? We've had over half a million deaths attributed to the coronavirus. There's certainly more uh, that we haven't tracked. And then we think of just the excess deaths in the last year, um, while some countries have been able to bring the pandemic much more under control. So Dr. Del Rio, how do you think about that? Did we need to lose as many lives as we have in this country? No, but the reason is the why, right? And the why did we lose so many lives? I think it goes to three things. Number one, it's about leadership. And it's about the fact that we just had the wrong leadership in in this pandemic. And, you know, a lot of things that came out of the White House are just unbelievable. Um, Number two, it was about the fact that our country is organized. We are, the public health is run at the state level. And therefore we didn't have a national strategy. We had a state strategy and we continue to have state strategies. And there's a lot of good things about states running things, 
But when you're running a pandemic, imagine if we were running a war and the army was left up to the states. So, you know, we're about to invade Normandy and all of a sudden, oh, Texas is not coming along because the Texas governor has decided that Texas is not doing this anymore. You know, it would be crazy. You don't run a war by having a state strategy. And the problem is in public health is state control. And therefore, we never had a national strategy. So each state has done its own thing. Its state has competed against each other for PPE, for ventilators, for tests, for every single thing. And that has been really bad. There's never been a national coordination. And number three, I really think we lost so many lives, honestly, because we weakened public health. The mm -hmm. fact that CDC was emasculated, the fact that CDC was moved out of the leading role that CDC was traditionally had. And we basically, it's almost like we were playing a chess match and we got rid of our queen. I mean, that is our premier public health agency. And we made this decision to remove them. And without having CDC in charge, everybody was running without a head and without leadership and without direction. And that led to a lot of unnecessary infections, a lot of unnecessary deaths. Even today, as Dr. Paxson said, you know, Texas says we don't have a mass mandate. And furthermore, we're open 100% for everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, yeah. excuse me, but that should not be allowed. That's just not right. And, and this is far from over, Sam. That's kind of, I, I think, a great pivot to, to where we are now and kind of where things go from here. You know, certainly the country is in a much better place than we were six weeks ago, uh, you know, when we saw cases peak in mid-January. I mean, where do things go from here? It seems like we're at a little bit of an inflection point. I've heard mention of a fourth wave. Uh, what's, your, what's your prediction? Well, I hate to predict because uh, what is it that uh, I can't remember who said that, but uh, prediction is is, uh, is hard, particularly about the future. But sure. <laughs> the thing is, is that um, there are, of course, signs of hope simply because, for example, now we have the vaccine and we're ramping up relatively quickly. You know, we're in the last week or so, we've been able to push out even more than, than we expected. But I feel like we are running a race. And that, you know, the problem is we are racing against a number of things. We're racing against these variants, which are going to become ever more prevalent and which many, several of them are, you know, more contagious than the, you know, wild type or the, you know, the one that we were first used to. We are racing mm -hmm. against things like the uh, loosening of restrictions and people who are tired of wearing a mask, who are tired of socially distancing, who think, oh, I heard that cases are going down. I don't necessarily need to do that now. And so we're, and we are starting to see that little uptick. And, uh, you know, we've seen this before. And as I tell people here, this isn't my first epidemic, you know, a bit between HIV, between Zika. And we see this all the time. When you get to this mm -hmm. point, when people get complacent because things are falling, you are setting yourself up for, you know, a resurgence. So what I feel like is that is my role as the health department head is to keep running and to get out there and to tell people the importance of maintaining the prevention um, strategies of getting the vaccine as soon as it is available uh, to you. And that might give us a fighting chance. Uh, however, you know, but I don't wanna make a prediction about this because you don't know what's going to happen. I, it is my hope that by the summer, the summer will be substantially better than our last summer, our, our last summer was. But people ask me all the time, 
when will we ever, when will we, we be able to go back to normal? Number one, I don't know. And don't plan on doing that anytime soon. So you're never going to see me. I'm, I'm vaccinated, but you'll never see me outside the house without my mask and uh, socially distancing and nor should anyone else. Well, and maybe maybe to, to jump off that, something you mentioned there, this idea of, of normal. It's been a year now since I think a lot of us have lived a life that is normal, but I wonder more and more if we're ever going to be returning to what that life looked like. And, and Dr. Del Rio, I'm wondering how you think of that. Is it helpful to think about a return to normal or maybe a different path forward and into a life where the coronavirus is just is part of our daily reality? Well, first of all, I think we need to, to decide what normal is, right? And if, if normal is the place we were in the past, uh, hopefully we won't return there because a lot of what happened in this pandemic was because of many things that exist in our culture and exist in our society that are wrong, like racism, like, uh, you know, people with no access to healthcare, like people with structural barriers to accessing, having PPE, et cetera. So I wish this pandemic will, will lead us to understand that going forward, I would like to end up in a better place. I would like to end up in a place that there's more health equity, that there's more ability to recognize what the things that drove this pandemic that made uh, way too many black and brown people uh, get sick and die. And we address that and we make a difference in society. So providing people with sick leave, providing people with safe housing, the ability to isolate, there's so many things, access to healthcare, that we can make a difference. So I hope that our society really looks at that. From a, from a, you know, could I be back to normal? I think it's gonna depend on us. I think this really depends on you. It depends on you on two things. Are you willing to continue for the time being, for the next few months, wearing your mask, socially distancing, doing the things to prevent? We have to shut down this virus. The most important thing is we have to shut down virus transmission. It is still too high in our society. But number two, you get your vaccine, as Dr. Paxton said. It's up to you when you become eligible get vaccinated. And the sooner, the faster we can vaccinate people. If I want to see, you know, transmission in our, in our state, in our country, go below 10 cases per 100,000 population. We are way above that mark right now. So we still have uncontrolled transmission. And I'm, what I'm concerned about, Sam, is that people have said, this is over. Like the governor of Texas has said, oh, we're done. And we're not done. I mean, the, the transmission is very high. The house is on fire and saying we're done right now, it's really abdicating our responsibility. And I would emphasize that at this point in time, it is not the time to give up. It's, you know, I love baseball. This is the top of the seventh. We're winning by one run. You don't say we're done. You bring your best players because we are barely making it and you got to win the game. And in order to win the game, it is what happens between the seventh and the ninth inning that makes a difference. And if we don't do that right, we're going to lose this game. Dr. Carlos Del Rio is an infectious disease expert at Emory University. Dr. Lynn Paxton leads the Fulton County Board of Health. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. 
That's where you can also leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org donate. And thanks.